pray and then we'll come and have a look at this passage of God's word together. Lord God, as we come to have a look at 1 Samuel 15, we ask that you might help us. Help us to see which parts of your message to your people apply specifically to us today. We ask that you speak with us by your spirit, nudge us, change us, motivate us, chastise us, that we as your people might grow to be your obedient people who glorify your name. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know what stories you teach your children from the scriptures first, but my kids, if they were here, probably knew this chapter before they knew Noah's Ark or anything else. Because you know how you have those phrases that you tell your kids? You know, my grandmother used to talk about cleanliness and godliness being next to each other. That's what grandmothers tell grandchildren, especially dirty ones. I always used to, I think from the time my kids were about a month old, would occasionally quote to them verse 22, the second half of the verse, and probably if you started it off for them now, they would just repeat. And I don't actually have to say the whole thing anymore. If something happens in our family, all I have to say is to obey, and they go, is better than to sacrifice. They understand. And I explain to them this passage. It's great. If you're a parent and you want to help your kids out, make sure they understand this. And so as I was reading through it, it brought back a whole lot of memories to me about times that I had thought this through in the past. And it's very well known. Who knows the story? Not everybody. That's okay. We'll just go through it then in a little bit more detail. It's a story, if you like, about judgment in, in more ways than one. It's a story of God's judgment on a group of people called the Amalekites and on a person called Saul. And really the whole chapter is about God's judgment on these. And you think, well, why would God tell us that? Why would God tell us about his judging these people? And the reason is he wants us as his people to understand why, if you like, the judgment came upon them. It's a story about judgment. And if you, if you get down to it even more, there are three things I think come out of it which are what we're supposed to learn from it. And if you like, there, there are three things we're supposed to do because we've read the story of God's judgment on these people. So I'll let you know the three applications at the beginning so as we go through you kind of get a picture in your mind of why these are three things you need to do as God's people. The first of the words, the first if you like the applications that we are supposed to take away from this passage is to listen. To listen to God like to hear his voice, to know what he says. And, and all the way through, Saul has been told to first of all listen 
and then we, we hear throughout the chapter of the other sounds that keep coming out which, which kind of move us away from listening to God. And the writer is trying to focus all the way back. Listen to God. The second of the... I'm not sure if it's a verb, Renee. It's a verb. <laughs> the second verb, the thing that we're supposed to do, is to obey. If we hear what God says, then we are to obey that. And all throughout, right at the very beginning, from the very beginning all the way through, Samuel says to, to Saul, you need to do what you've heard. And we have the partial obedience coming out all the way through. And we have some statements in here about how God feels about partial obedience. This is why I always used it with my kids. I would tell them to do something and they, being children, thought they had a better idea than me, generally, because kids are normally smarter than parents until they become parents and then their kids are smarter than them. But I always used to tell my kids, when I tell you to do something, you start doing it. If you've got a better idea as you're doing it, tell me your better idea. And if, if you have got a better idea, I can change what I tell you to do. But you don't get to stop and talk to me about it until you've started doing what I've told you to do. Now, they never quite understood that all the way along the line. They, they, they picked it up eventually. But Saul hasn't learnt this yet. Because he hears and he understands exactly what God wants. And in this story, he works out lots of better things that he could possibly do rather than obey God. And so the writer wants to encourage us not only to hear God, but to obey God. And then the last verb that is our application comes out in the second half of the chapter, if you like, and that's the verb repent. Because in this chapter, two people repent, if you like. And it, it's a fairly confusing thing, but it'll be interesting when we get to it. God repents here. It, it, our, our modern version is trying make this easier. They use words like regret and grieve. But it's the same word, repent. God changed, if you like. His attitude towards Saul. And he was sorry that he made Saul the king. And judgment comes upon Saul. And so that's interesting. But then the other one is Saul. And Saul pretends, if you like, to repent, but his repentance isn't real. And all of that comes out in the fact that he gets God's judgment. And so the writer in this chapter is encouraging us as God's people to understand what true repentance is. To understand that attitude of heart that we have towards truly recognizing who God is. And Saul doesn't do that, and he's rejected by God. And the writer says, don't you be like that, pretty much, the people of Israel. If you hear God's word and you obey it, great. If you hear God's word and you don't obey it, repent. Because the opposite of true repentance, or the, the, what happens if you don't repent, is you come under the judgment of God. 
and we've got the two examples in here who are the Amalekites and Saul. So let's go through the chapter. I'm going to read some of what um, uh, Spencer already read to us. I think one of the reasons is that as you think, how do you tell the story? It's actually better told in the words of Scripture. So let me read it out to you. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, that sounds really terrible. And it is really terrible. But God's given the reason here. He says these people, way back in the time of the Exodus, did something to my people and they came under my judgment. And we read, if we read what we read through Joshua and other places, that when God says that the people of this land have totally filled up their sin, if you like, and therefore he says they're to be totally destroyed. God had waited a long time. He had worked, giving opportunity for people, if you like, to change. And the Amalekites hadn't. And he said, I'm going to bring the judgment upon them finally. That's the judgment side. But we're really looking at Saul here. And Saul is told by Samuel that Samuel comes from the Lord, that Saul is the Lord's king, and he's king over the Lord's people. In other words, Samuel sets this all up for Saul. He says, you know, Saul, in this whole situation, you have to understand you belong to God. You belong to God. Everything about you, your task, your ministry, whatever, is, is from God. So, listen to what you have to do. Now, that's supposed to be for us to understand as God's people that it's no different for us. That everything that we do as people who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be servants of God. And it was to the people of Israel that they were to understand that they, like Saul, were God's people and therefore he was the one who had the right to tell them what to do. So what is Saul told to do? He's told to destroy the Amalekites and everything that's amongst them. The the word here is to be put under the ban. Basically the meaning was that this people belong to me. And I've told you to destroy them completely. They're mine. Everyone, if you like, is God's. But these people had reached the stage where God says the, the outcome for them is my judgment upon them. And I want them totally destroyed. Their punishment, their time for their punishment has come. And I want them totally given over to me. Now it's interesting, in some ways, Saul is given this last chance. We've just had these last few chapters. Saul is, is given this picture, if you like. This group of people have finally come to the end of God's tether. 
his judgment is upon them. And Saul sees this. Saul has seen God's judgment coming. In the previous chapters he's had comments made towards him about how God is angry with him and God is disappointed with him and God is saying, be obedient to me. And Saul has this picture now given in front of him. This is what happens to people who don't change. This is my punishment, Saul. Take note. And you would think that Saul, seeing what happens to these people and actually having to do it, would see how holy God is and how right it is that he's obedient to God. But he just doesn't. Verse 4, So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. I don't know if you get the picture. He goes down with lots of people. I don't know how they fit 210,000 people in a ravine and it's possible the word translated thousand there is, is military units or something so you've got 200 units of men from one area and 10 units of men from another they came down here to destroy the Amalekites and there were another group of people there people who had actually been kind to Israel and Saul says move out of the way they're the ones we're going to bring God's judgment upon verse 7 then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Verse 7 basically says they had this wide-ranging destruction. It means it was almost total. And then it tells the story of Saul's disobedience. Because of what Saul thought, he left some bits out of what God told him to do. I read through the scriptures sometimes and it says that I'm supposed to behave in a particular way or, or treat people in a particular way and I think I don't want to. I think it's unreasonable. I don't know about you. Anyone ever thought some of God's comments unreasonable? Some people are nodding. I know you're not supposed to think that God might be unreasonable. I'm sure my kids thought I was unreasonable. I know I wasn't. But they thought I was. I don't know as much as God. And I sometimes come to his word and it tells me to behave in this sort of way and I think, that doesn't make any sense. And that's the way Saul thought. He rocked up and there's King Agag. And he said, oh, I'll take this guy hostage. I'm not going to do him in. I'll, I'll take him back with me. And we don't know the reason he did that. Either he thought there was some benefit he could get from it or he thought it's bad to kill kings. <laughs> Let me show some mercy here. I don't know why he kept Agag. Probably this power thing it seems most likely because he was going to take him and parade him down in Judah and he hadn't quite cemented his kingship in Judah so it's quite possible that he wanted to go and say look who I caught even if he was going to kill him down there but he kept him, he didn't kill him and then there's all this cattle and the lambs 
And he thinks, you know, that's good stuff. What a waste just to kill it. What a waste just to give it to God. I know he says that, but maybe he didn't have a good look. We can use this. And they kept all the good stuff. They didn't learn from history. They killed all the weak and despised, but they kept the good stuff. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in that position, rationalising why I shouldn't do what God says. I look at the way the world behaves, or I look at what research tells me, and I think, I can't behave like that, because if I do, I could be doing something that's not quite right. So even though God says it, I'll just hold back a little bit. It's not quite reasonable what Saul did and he didn't destroy everything then verse 10 the Lord repents then the word of the Lord came to Samuel I regret it's a bit of a softening here I changed my mind I repent I'm sorry I've made Saul king he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. What does it mean the Lord repents? A little bit later on in the chapter we're going to find out Samuel saying God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't tell lies. So what does it mean that God changed his mind? God repented. I think what it meant is that he had given Saul lots of chances, if you like. And I think it all comes out of this one of the reasons why this story comes up with the Amalekites. Saul had had his chances, but there comes a time when God says, enough is enough. I've warned you, and I've warned you, and I've warned you. I've taken things away from you. I've disciplined you. I've sought that you change, Saul. And then he comes to a point and he says to Samuel, I repent, I I've changed my mind. I find this both a terrifying thing as well as an encouraging thing. Which do you want first? Who wants terrifying first? Who wants encouraging? Eh, it's more encouraging. Why is it encouraging? It's encouraging because it shows that God is, if you like, in this dynamic relationship with us that he doesn't just thump us when we're down. He doesn't just condemn and judge. But he, he goes through this process again and again and again and again with us. King David did just as many wicked things, in, in some ways more so than, than Saul did at times. But God worked with him and David learned and changed and was forgiven. Saul didn't, and, but God kept working with Saul. And I think of myself and the times that I have struggled and failed, God keeps working with me. I find that terribly encouraging. That whilst God is hurt, he still holds out, if you like, hope. He keeps working in my life for me. And I find that terribly encouraging. Terribly terrifying is there comes a time when God says enough's enough. No more. 
you've gone past. You're like the Amalekites. You're like Saul. I am going to hand you over to whatever it is you're doing and you will just suffer the consequences of it. That to me is, is totally terrifying. But this is the picture that we have. And it's, it's written here to encourage us, believe it or not, to encourage us with both the carrot, turn back to God and know that he will accept you. When you repent, his grace is sufficient to cover everything. Turn back to him. And the stick. If you don't, if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing against God, eventually there comes a time and he says enough's enough. So it's an encouragement to us, make certain that you repent. Early in the morning, verse 12, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul's gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel says, and the word here is the word sound, not the word for bleating and lowing. He says, oh, what's that sound of sheep I hear? What's, that, what's the sound of cattle I hear? And it's like a little poem in Hebrew. He makes this little rhyme. Basically he's saying to Saul, Really? You've done everything? You've carried out the Lord's instructions? Where do you get those sheep from? Where do you get the cows from? And Saul answered, <laughs> Samuel answered, uh, the, soldiers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. Mm -hmm. They wanted to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Saul does two things here. He basically says, look, the soldiers, I listened to them. Yes, I had the word of God, but I listened to them. And Samuel said, you say you obeyed God, but... I can hear the results of you not obeying God. A couple of things I think this brings out for us. Number one, we are constantly bombarded by so many other noises around. And Saul's problem here was that he listened to them. He gave them credence. Now, I, I think he's actually playing a little of a blame game because I think if you read earlier in the chapter, he wanted to keep this stuff as well. But he listens to that that's going on around. And he doesn't listen to God. He says, well, that has some value, is what he's basically saying to Saul. We had a better idea. Rather than destroy it because it was God's, we thought we would take it and give it back to God. Now, I think more than anything else, that's just stealing, right? My daughter, she's not here, when she was younger, she used to give me birthday presents. She would go down to my library, take a book out of my bookshelf, one she knew I liked, wrap it, and give it to me. I used to get books for birthdays and Father's Day and Christmas. 
And she always knew it was a book that I liked. And it never cost her a thing. That is pretty much what Saul says here. He says, well, <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to give them to God. We kind of took them, and now we're going to give them to God. God says, well, they're mine in the first place. I just told you to kill them. That's all I want you to do. I want you to destroy them because they were judged. They're under the ban. But no, Saul had this better idea. Saul listened to all these other things that were out there. And the results of his listening was heard by Samuel. And I think this is one of the things that comes out of here about, about listening to God. God knows when we're disobedient. My kids were often amazed at how I could tell when they hadn't done what I told them to do. As if for some strange reason it was going to slip past my notice that their bedroom was still untidy. And I would go and say, is your bedroom tidy? And they go, yeah. And I go, really? And they go, someone messed it up. As if I wouldn't work it out. I think as kids get older and older, teenagers into their 20s, they're much more sophisticated at how they do all of that. But we can still kind of pick it up. And God's the same. When we listen to other things except for his voice, don't think we trick him. He hears the results and the consequences of our sin. That reaches him. He's hoping to hear our praise and our worship of obedience and he says the, the disharmony of, of our sin keeps reaching his ears and this is what Samuel says. He says, I hear it, God hears it. You're not fooling anybody, Saul. So verse 16, Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Now, the interesting thing about this is the word pounce. It's the same word pounce that was used a couple of chapters earlier when the soldiers pounced on the animals and ate them with, with the blood in them. Only one of the few times that it's used. So pretty much what Sam is saying is, look, why'd you do what you knew you shouldn't do? Why would you go ahead and be disobedient when you knew what God said? But I did obey the Lord, says Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And this is the clinch. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. To disobey 
is the same as going and searching after where you can get advice from somewhere else except for God. If you disobey God, what you're basically saying to God is, there are better sources out there. My dad's a surgeon. He's had 40 years experience. He's worked all over the world. He's trained most of the top doctors around the place. He will have people come to see him and he'll ask his opinion and they'll go, oh, that's a good opinion, but I looked it up on Google and it says this. My dad says, well, you go let Google operate on you. Now, there's nothing wrong with Google. But if I'm having to toss it up, surgery, experience, training, knowledge, everything, Google. And basically God says, when you're saying God, anything else, you're demeaning me. You're putting me down below everything else. He says, so disobedience is basically saying, you're not my king, you're not my lord. And your arrogance in doing that is the same as idolatry. You're rejecting me. And then he goes on to say, because you've rejected the word of God, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. He recognized, he repented. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back to me so that I may worship the Lord. Repentance? Still none. His, his idea here is, I've done wrong, it's their fault, but I'm sorry. I've done wrong, but it's their fault and I'm sorry. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone's repented to you like that and you think you're not really sorry. God wants us to recognize our sin, our disobedience and to come back to him and worship him and then he accepts us. This is what we've celebrated in the Lord's Supper today. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. Why? You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel because you didn't listen you're under judgment because you reject him you've come to this terrifying moment when he rejects you and Samuel turned to leave and Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore and Samuel said to him the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours to one better than you not better in morality, not better in behaviour, but better in regard to the voice of the Lord. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. He's not a human being that he should repent. God repents of choosing Saul as king and then Samuel says he doesn't change his mind. God will keep working with us, seeking to bring us back, but there'll come a time when it's done. But he in his character doesn't change. We're the ones who have to turn and to come back to him, and he's always willing to embrace and accept. He's always willing to show his grace towards us. But if we continue to reject him, don't expect him to change and to become unholy. His judgment will come on us if we don't learn to listen to him. 
So replied, I have sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came into him in chains and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless amongst women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord of Gilgal. Samuel carried out the judgment on Agag. And again, it's made it clear it was because of their sin, it was because of their wickedness. That's why he did that. And it's it's an expression to Saul. God's judgment is here. Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of, of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's the story, wonderful story. Three things to learn, and then we're going to pray together. Number one, listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. You know what he says to do. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart. Read his word. Pray to him. Share the gospel. Give generously. Don't tell lies. Don't cheat on your husband or wife. Look after your children. Give to the poor. Don't covet. He says all of these things so that we might understand his king and that we might understand his character and that we might show our service to him. Listen. Obey. Do it. There are no excuses. There's no way out. There's no 90%. It's do it. When you're struggling with it, yes, you can pray and seek the Lord's face. Is this really what you want? But as you're obeying, as you're doing, because he's king and he has every right to say, this is the direction I want you to head. Thirdly, if you're not obedient, repent. Come before him and say you're sorry. Accept what Christ has given and done for you. If we don't do that, there comes a time when he says enough's enough. If you come to the book of Hebrews, Pastor Dale will be talking about how God is known to be real in our lives as we persevere through to the end. And if we don't persevere, he's really not real in our lives. And judgment will come. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we as your people might listen to you. We might hear your word through the pages of scripture. We might hear your word as we talk and are encouraged and equipped by our brothers and sisters. We might hear your word as your spirit talks within our hearts. Father, help us to be obedient to your word, to listen and to obey. If we don't obey, Lord, we're not really your children. We're not being followers of yours. We're being idolaters. And help us, I pray, not to be like that. And yet, Father, I know that all of us, we, we do that sometimes. We are disobedient and we fail. We do what Saul did. We rationalise, we listen to the things of the world and we shouldn't. Give us your grace that we might come before you and repent. 
we thank you that we have through Christ Jesus your forgiveness of our sin. Help us, I pray, that we might avail ourselves of all that we have in him. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, there's opportunity at the end of the service if you would like prayer. Um, so at the end of the benediction, if you'd like to make your way down to the, the front right-hand corner. And if I can ask those who usually um, share in that ministry of prayer to make themselves available for that as well. Please stand with us. We're going to finish with um, a wonderful hymn. All to Jesus I Surrender. Please stand with us.